In 2011, our perception of the Force changed forever with the introduction of the mysterious planet Mortis and the Force users who live there, father, son, and daughter. Today, we're diving deep into the symbolism, mythology, and future of Star Wars with the Clone Wars Mortis Trilogy. Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I am your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to this very special episode where we are talking all about Mortis from Star Wars The Clone Wars Season 3. And we are so very excited because not only are Charlotte and I talking about Mortis, but we also have a very special guest. Please welcome Courtney from Who Talks First and her amazing, amazing fandom shop, Squadron Girls. Welcome to the show, Courtney. We're so excited you're here. Thank you guys for having me. I'm really excited to finally be here. Yay! You know, um, just so everyone knows, we actually met Courtney at the solo premiere, which was like the craziest thing ever that you sat behind me. Like, it was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in assigned seating, like we were somehow right by each other, which was it's it crazy. Was so much like, fun. In a giant theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was, and you weren't even standing that far away from us in the when we were on the red carpet either. Um, we didn't get to really see you then, but the fact that we ended up like sitting basically right next to each other is just insane. And also, I I think it was Caitlin's photo from Celebration. I think I was sitting two rows ahead of you at the 40th anniversary panel at Celebration. So we what? didn't meet there. But I remember you posting that photo. We talked about this. I, <laughs> so I think we, yeah, we have. Yeah. Yeah. But you can you can see the back of my head. I'm like, we were so close. We didn't know each other then, but I think that's just like one of those funny things that I was two rows ahead of you at that panel. That's so funny. Uh, that was like before The uh, Last Jedi. Wow. Us Raylos really do stick together. Right. We do. <laughs> even when we don't try to. <laughs> or even before we were technically Raylos. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So funny. The force was just calling you to me. It was just like it was. a vibe. It was like, yeah. You need to sit next to this Raylo. Why? I don't know. Maybe something in the future. <laughs> Maybe you guys will be great friends later. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. (laughs) So funny. Before we get started talking about Mortis, we have a very important question for you, Courtney. Um, We ask all of our guests um, who come on the show, but it is our Star Wars dinner party question. Now, for those of you that are new to Sky Talkers and don't know what the Star Wars dinner party is, it's basically a really bad game that Charlotte and I came up with. At some point in our friendship when we had run out of other things to talk about, (laughs) where basically we would ask each other if you were having a dinner party and can invite anyone from the Star Wars world, five people from the Star Wars world, be it an actor, um, a character, an alien, someone from production, or uh, anyone involved in the Star Wars world, who would it be? And you should take into consideration the kind of conversation and atmosphere you want to have at your Star Wars dinner party. So, Courtney, we want to know, who would you have at your Star Wars dinner party? Okay, see, Charlotte dropped this on me very last minute, and this is something I need hours of <laughs> prep for, <laughs> because ex- the atmosphere matters so much. Like, do I want to have decent conversation, or do I just want to find out what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. So I I want to go with a mostly fictional route. I will say George Lucas just definitely has to be there. 
I think he's such an interesting man that I just want to have a conversation with him and see how it goes. It might be awful, Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I just want to see how it goes. I like how you acknowledge that it it, it could maybe not be great, but he's taking a spot at the dinner table anyway. (laughs) I think we all feel like George deserves a spot at the table. Yeah. I don't know. George hasn't been at my dinner table. He's never been at my dinner table. Yeah. Are you serious? Dave Filoni always gets first invite. Whoa. Bold. (laughs) That is bold. That is bold. But but I always go for like atmosphere mixed with knowledge. I go for like a combo. So you've got like Dave Filoni and then like John Boyega. So like very – like Dave Filoni is going to tell me stuff. But John Boyega is going to give me a good laugh. You know what I mean? I like a combo Yeah, because that's what I was thinking. I'm like, do I want – like the serious actors to like learn about the craft or do I want to just have like a good time with the cast? Cause that is mm-hmm. two totally separate things. It is. It's, You've got this five is a spots, very though. difficult You've question. Five spots. <laughs> uh, I can't choose. So Count Dooku is on this list out of principle of being Count Dooku, who is the best character in all of Star Wars. So he just has to be there. Cause I, mm-hmm. I want to ask him about his time with Yoda. Cause I, that's mm. a Star Wars instance. I really want to know. Uh, Kylo's definitely there and this is where I can't decide I'm like do I have a solo family reunion just to (laughs) make it happen like do I have my last three be Kylo Han and Leia just to force this reunion to have it on on screen in front of me you know because I can't have it in the films Hmm. It's so yeah. tempting. It's really tempting. Count Dooku would provide a lot of good commentary, I feel like, on that whole situation. So I say go for it. And I think Count Dooku has a certain level of like class that he would really bring up the class level of this dinner party. Yeah, like, Count Dooku you know and you Han have to man. have the right... Oh, man. That's an interesting conversation. What yeah, would they really say to each other? Like, <laughs> let's imagine... Let's. Let's take a step back here, ladies. Let's imagine that Count Dooku, George Lucas, and Han Solo walk into a bar. Like, what's that conversation look like? <laughs> I don't know. That's why I want to know. <laughs> Courtney, you have a very interesting dinner. I approve. And yeah, I'd actually want to be there. I'd want to be a fly on the wall. <laughs> I would too. <laughs> you know, you just some of it makes sense, but then you throw in Count Dooku just to shake things up. So... <laughs> Count Dooku really is the, the odd man out, but like such a refined odd man out. I really like if, it. If it's a fancy dinner party, he is the most refined of all mm-hmm. the Star Wars characters, in my opinion. The truth is, Count Dooku is so interesting. Like, he's he so really interesting. Is. He is. that you're so. I think you're so right to get him at a dinner, you know, like a two-hour discussion of, like, what's going on with Count Dooku, who he is, <laughs> what makes him tick. His relationship with Yoda, like you said, like, I, I want to know it all. Well, I was like, because now I'm like, do I change to have Count Dooku and Yoda and Rey and Kylo? George Lucas is just like, there to moderate to talk about force bond stuff. Because Count du- Dooku and Yoda are like the other big force bond that we really see in the Clone Wars. So do I get Dooku, Yoda, Rey and Kylo there just to talk about it? Because I would <sighs> love it. I don't know. I'm kind of leaning towards your first setup because honestly, like, I feel like once you get a couple of drinks in Count Dooku, his dry <laughs> humor and like sarcasm is going to be off the wall. And to hear those kinds of comments from like a kind of tipsy Count Dooku about like Han Solo and Leia and George Lucas and Kylo, I'm just very much for that situation there. So, yeah. 
That's what I'm going. That's that's my vote, but you know, it's your dinner. You 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 do you, girlfriend. I'll decide <laughs> when I have to send out the invites. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> It'll be hard. So why don't we dive straight on into Mortis? So in part one, we're going to be talking about our first impressions, the beginning, if you will. And in part two, we're going to be talking about the story within Mortis, a.k.a. the middle. In part three, we're going to be talking about its impact and relation beyond the Clone Wars um, or the end. So without further ado, let's get started. So who talks first? You talk first? I talk first. All right. Welcome to part one, where we're going to be talking about the beginning, aka our first impressions of Mortis. So season three of the Clone Wars, the episodes that we lovingly refer to as the Mortis trilogy are actually three separate episodes entitled Overlords, Altar of Mortis, and Ghosts of Mortis, which aired in 2011. And so we'll start with you, Courtney, since you're our guest. What did you think of Mortis when you first saw it? Um, Actually, let me back up. Were you watching Clone Wars at the time when Mortis came out? No, I didn't watch Clone Wars until it was out on Netflix. So okay, that would have been around 2013, 2014, I think, somewhere around that time. So I didn't watch uh, Clone Wars until then. So did you watch it like kind of chronologically, like through the seasons? And then how did you feel when you finally made it to Mortis? Because at first, I honestly thought Mortis looked like the stupidest thing I've ever seen because they were basically human versions of the Force. So I only thought this for about 10 minutes until we actually got (laughs) talking about it. And it quickly became my favorite thing in the Clone Wars. It's my favorite trilogy in the Clone Wars. And yeah, I guess it's my favorite section of episodes within the Clone Wars. Favorite arc. That's the word that I'm thinking of. It's my favorite arc in the Clone Wars. (laughs) Uh, And Clone Wars is my favorite Star Wars thing. And the sequel Mm -hmm. trilogy might be able to take it over, but we have to wait till episode nine. So I just really ended up loving this arc, even though I thought the concept at first, which was basically human versions of the Force, was quite silly. I I agree. I empathize with that point of view because I think that like the first time I heard about it or like what was going to be explored in Mortis, I was like, that's kind of dumb. Like, uh, maybe two people. Like, I didn't know if I loved the artist rendering of the daughter and the son, um, but, like, I quickly bought into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Extremely <I> think, quickly. <laughs> to be honest, I don't remember watching the first two episodes of Mortis. I remember watching the finale because Char- Charlotte and I have a story about watching the finale, which I'm sure we've told on the show before, but Charlotte and I were actually hosting a party in my basement the night that the Ghost of Mortis aired, and we left the party to go watch <laughs> Ghost of Mortis, <laughs> um, our own party in my basement. Uh, <laughs> oh my God, this, this I stand. This is a true story, <laughs> listeners. Like, <laughs> no, this is the truest as it gets. This like, literally, tr- we went, we we went downstairs, brought food during the commercial breaks, and then came back up. Like, oh, we just gotta <laughs> go get more stuff. legit legit and we were watching it in my kitchen too which has like this my mom has like this itty bitty little tv screen in the kitchen because she always watches food network and uh yeah we we totally said that we were coming up and getting more food and like we had to like make more food so it took a while um but i think that was our pancake pajama party was it not charlotte it was it really was was. (laughs) it really was um 
Yeah, we had, I think there were probably like 15 or 20 people downstairs. <laughs> and <laughs> we legit left and went upstairs to watch Ghost of Mortis. And that's like a very distinct Star Wars memory in my head. Um, us like checking back to see if anyone was coming upstairs to look for us. <laughs> and they didn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, like watching Ghost of Mortis like find out what happened was like the the end of this trilogy, especially in regards to Ahsoka. I'm so, like both of us are such Ahsoka, Ahsoka stands um, that it was it was pretty crazy. But it, like coming back to Mortis over the years has been so bananas. Like the more you watch it, the more it gives to you, and I love it so much. <laughs> Yeah, I remember watching it, especially like you said, Keelan, I remember like extremely vividly in 2011 watching Ghosts of Mortis and that one shot where Anakin sees um, the Darth Vader helmet. I remember us freaking out in your kitchen over that shot and like basically like screaming about it. And I think that like that was at that point, my fandom was like really centered around Anakin's story and everything. And I was like, wow, I cannot believe that Clone Wars went there. And honestly, for me, Mortis and the Mortis trilogy and the boundaries that Clone Wars pushed in this um, in these three episodes really like solidified my fandom for Clone Wars and kind of made me realize how much I really loved it and how it was doing all these really interesting and different things that Star Wars had never really done before, especially visually. Yeah, I think that the visuals in Mortis, and we'll talk about this more later, but the like just the whole concept. I mean, this is what you said earlier, Courtney, that on face value, you're like, this is no, this is a hard no <laughs> about like what Mortis actually is. But then once you start like once – I mean we're kind of like our characters when they first get there. Um, Like when Anakin and Ahsoka and Obi-Wan all get there and they ask daughter who she is and she's like, we are the ones that guard the power. And Anakin's like, glad you cleared that up. Like <laughs> we are the characters. <laughs> like, yeah, no, I still have no idea what's going on here. But the deeper you get into the into the arc, um, the further you like get physically into the temple, like where Anakin goes, the more trippy things are. And almost like the more questions you get, but you're also so invested in it at that point, and it starts to have like real effects on our characters. And I think what you said, Charlotte, was really interesting too. Um, and is a good point in thinking about like your own Star Wars journey about like how um, attached to Anakin you were, especially in this time period of Clone Wars and how like Clone Wars actually went there. And this is really the first time that we had such a clear and distinct connection to the saga films in such like a very real way. Like I remember not only the Darth Vader helmet, seeing that for the first time, but seeing Padme being force choked in that vision mm-hmm. as well. And how, like, really startling it was um, because, I mean, you're right. Like, we didn't expect them to go there. <laughs> um, what did you think, Courtney, when you first saw the vision? I mean, did you kind of know it was coming or was it all a complete surprise for you? It was all a complete surprise to me. But like you guys, that was just such a awesome part of the episode where I think by myself, I was, like, aud- audibly shouting at my computer being like, oh my god, I can't believe they actually did this. And I love this this series of episodes for so many reasons, because they do really go through the effort and explain why Anakin was still the chosen one at the end of the saga. Because that was something that a lot of people still didn't quite understand how Anakin was still, how Anakin still fulfilled the prophecy. And they did a really good job of establishing why that was still the case. They did a really good job of explaining the Force in in ways that we really hadn't seen before. 
in ways that I've interpreted but hadn't really seen backed that often and so it just made me feel really good in those I mean all of the force visions that happen in this episode like each mm-hmm. one has you has oh, yeah. your jaw drop in some way like it's mm-hmm. it's so good I think that's really interesting what you said about like your ideas about the force and how this episode kind of solidified that for you seeing as you watched it in like 2013 after it had already come out whereas Charlotte and I talk a lot about how animation was and like the cloners in particular was very foundational in our understanding of Star Wars and the force and that's because we were both very new in the like obsessive side of this fandom when these episodes were coming out and so something like Mortis since we were watching it live I don't know. It's like it's it's interesting kind of watching how that's like very influential to how we view something like The Last Jedi now, knowing that, you know, the Mortis trilogy was one of our first introductions into the crazier sides of the Force. And knowing that Ryan Johnson watched it. Yes. yes <laughs> Sorry. Yes. No, no, no. Don't apologize. That's the best thing ever. <laughs> it, like, it fills me with so much joy. I get giddy. Um, what you said about how it solidified the Chosen One prophecy. I think that that is also a really good point because really in each of these episodes, there's three, I think that there's like at least two lines in each of them that kind of underscore the fact that Anakin is the Chosen One and how much like weight that kind of puts on Anakin. And we feel that weight as the audience, I think, um, in understanding that fully that the Force is literally telling us, the audience and Anakin, that he is the Chosen One. and. Um, I think that there was so much discussion over, like, is Anakin really the chosen one? Was that prophecy like a bunch of hullabaloo? Like, what even is that? And I think this this episode series, like, basically drilled it into our heads that, yes, Anakin is the chosen one, despite basically everything um, that people kind of prove that he isn't. You know what I mean? Has Charlotte mm-hmm. ever used the word hullabaloo seriously? Like she just said. I believe you should start using it more personally. (laughs) But only in a serious manner. Never for jokes. (laughs) Hullabaloo is one of those words that is not a serious word, but often is used in serious. Like, I feel like you see politicians using the word hullabaloo. You know what I mean? Happy election night, everyone. That's why you use hullabaloo. Exactly. It's just a hullabaloo. It's just like Mortis. It's just, it's kind of like that word cattywampus. It's just like, what is that word? (laughs) Cattywampus. Um, I had a teacher in high school who always used the word cattywampus. I was um, in a culinary program in high school and we had to do like – we had to learn knife cuts like juliennes and medium dice and mints and stuff. And when our, our lines weren't straight on our knife cuts, she would always say, You're, it's looking a little cattywampus, <laughs> meaning it's not oh quite gosh. straight. <laughs> That's amazing. It's a fun word. <laughs> uh, where were we? <laughs> Mortis. Mortis, right. The hullabaloo of Mortis. <laughs> Okay, so I feel like we're all really itching to start talking about what's actually going on in this series. So let's jump to part two. Let's do it. Okay, so welcome to part two, where we're going to be talking about the story and basically what happens within the episode. Um, So why don't we talk through kind of what happens in each episode and like the different action points and their meaning, really. Um, So let's start in the beginning when they land on this planet that isn't necessarily a planet. It's kind of this weird diamond shape thing that we've never seen in Star Wars before. It doesn't even look like a planet, right? Um, and 
you see them land, basically crash land, and they're met with daughter who says, we are the ones who guard the power. We are the beginning, the middle, and the end. What do you guys think when you hear that? A lot. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Possibly like more so now than I ever did before. Mm -hmm. But... (laughs) (laughs) because is it like uh because now because you like you originally a beginning middle of the end you know everything there makes star wars in trilogies and now there's a trilogy of trilogies is are they the the original trilogy the prequels trilogy and the sequel trilogy like are they representative of that somehow you know there's a lot to dig into here i know it's so hard because the way that i look at it now is exactly what you just said courtney of the this whole thing will somehow represent the prequel, the you know the the original and the sequels, um, just by the way that that basically parallels kind of perfectly. But it's hard because this was made in 2011. Yet, like you mentioned in the last part, Courtney, like Ryan Johnson has watched this. Like I feel like this series of episodes comes up so much in discussion of like new films and, um kind of everything that is created today and how we study the force, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, what is it that we say? Look <laughs> to the animation department for the future of Star Wars. <laughs> I mean, seriously. But like in this in this early part where daughter's basically explaining without really explaining um, what they are and like the fact that they represent balance, it's really interesting. And like suddenly I feel like as an audience, we're like totally bought into it, but we're not completely sure what it all means. Yeah, it really is like falling down the rabbit hole. And they even, I mean, you've got this like weird diamond thing that's bigger than an asteroid, I think is what Ahsoka says. But that's like all we have to go on and like do any of us really know how big an asteroid is in Star Wars terms? Um, no. <laughs> Actually, I'm sure there's someone out there who who does. <laughs> but um, we do kind of fall down this rabbit hole with them. The part that I always think is really interesting is the how she says the ones who guard the power. So they're not – actually the power like they're not the power they guard the power so the power is the power is the force right we can all like agree on that mm-hmm. um and so are they like the ones controlling like the cosmic force or the living force is it both are they just conduits are they gods that are like the head honchos basically of the people guarding the power are there others that guard the power like <sighs> so many questions like I hadn't watched these episodes in a while, actually, um, before I rewatched them for recording tonight. And there's just so many questions I have in relation to like characters like Guardian, like that we have, like Guardians of the Wills, um, even like the Bendu that we see later on in Rebels. And then, of course, their relation to this and their place as like on the temple that we see on Lethal as well. Um, like this, this trio of characters is so, 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 so fascinating. And I think it's Father who calls them force wielders, um, that they're not – I don't know. And and we talked about this a little bit in – when you and I did our preservation episode, Charlotte, about how there's mention of them in the Jedi archives, but someone like Anakin or Obi-Wan, specifically Obi-Wan who's very well versed in like the Jedi archives seemingly, has never heard of them before. And they're referred to as gods. And the way that the Empire knows about them is because of – what was in the Jedi archives. But the two Jedi we see here don't actually know anything about them. I don't know. So they're like, it's so layered and it's so complex. 
It it really is. It really is. I think what you were alluding to is the uh, the father says that they had to recluse themselves because there was too much power, dark, dark or light, and they would be undoing of life as you understand it. Yes. Um, which I feel like we could do a full episode that like basically breaks down the entire screenplay of <laughs> this mortis and like talks about each quote, but obviously we can't do that. Mm-hmm. Not now. <laughs> but that's, um Yeah, that that's what's really interesting is that there are still vestiges of them like around the galaxy because they're some they're mentioned somewhere and by some form in the Jedi archives. And we also see them on the temple in Lothal, like I just brought up. Um so like they're still out there, but it's so secluded because they had to recuse themselves basically from the galaxy. It's very interesting. It really is. Um, Courtney, what did you think of like the introduction and the learning what they all are? It's so interesting because it grows over time and you don't really know what to think of them by the end of it because I think subtextually they are, are they are in a way human versions of the Force, the way they interact with each other, the way they interact with Anakin, Obi-Wan, and Ahsoka. Because uh, even in the beginning of the episode, I just remember seeing this for the first time, like the first time I watched After the Last Jedi, how angry the daughter gets after Anakin touches her. And Mm -hmm. then you pay attention to that throughout the episode and how the daughter really is the only one who abides by these, these rules. She has a code and she's really the only one that listens to them like clearly the son is doing his own thing but the daughter mal- mal has multiple instances where she's like oh i can't do that um or her father dismisses her and tells her to not to do something and she listens it's just kind of this reflection of like a J- the jedi code in a way and you have the son who sort of reflects quote-unquote sith thinking but they aren't that but they are that and it just kind of shoves it in your face that the Force is so much bigger than Sith and Jedi, which I feel like a lot of people get kind of tunneled into, including, like, our our, our characters. Because Anakin's like, oh, you're a bad guy, so obviously you're a Sith. And he's like, if you think, if you think that's all we can be, our Sith and Jedi, then you have a lot to learn. Mm-hmm. So, and that's that's something that I really like that's coming up in the sequel trilogy because it really hasn't been explored that much uh, in canon besides the Mortis. And we're sort of getting there with uh, the sequel trilogy as well. Yeah. I, um, this episode is kind of, uh, Mortis takes the cake, but it reminds me of Heroes on Both Sides, which is also from season three. Season three, man, Clone Wars really hitting its stride. So good. So So great. (laughs) Um, But I remember watching Heroes on Both Sides, and that really was like an eye-opening for me about like the reality of the war that was going on and like how there were good people on both sides because I had been stuck in that mentality of, oh, separatists are bad. They're all bad. You're a separatist. You're bad. And that wasn't the case. Like the manipulator in in charge of all of this was Palpatine. And heroes on both sides really like opened the door for me in that way. And Mortis, just like you said, Courtney, was like the first time that it was like, oh, the Jedi and Sith are just users of the Force. They don't control their Force and they're not the only representations of the Force, which you're right. I think think that's the whole crux of what the sequel trilogy is going to be built on now, especially when we go back and watch it as a whole after episode nine comes out. Um, because I mean, that's what Luke says to Ray. He says to think that the Jedi, that if the light, if the Jedi are gone, the light is vanished, something like that, um, is vanity. Like it's not the Jedi. The Jedi don't own the force. 
um, because that had been built up so much in our fandom. And I think that whole train of thought starts here in Mortis, which, you know, worth noting as well that Mortis was a George Lucas conception um, that he and Dave Filoni created together. So like this is how George is starting to think about the Force in this time period too. So, I mean, 2009, 2008, when they're actually starting to create these episodes, right? Um, mm-hmm. So I think I, I always think that's worth noting too, that like Mortis is very much a George Lucas creation. Um, and so getting to see like that ripple effect of his ideas and perception about the Force being taken all the way through the sequel trilogy now is really great. Can we kind of uh, deconstruct the symbolism behind the father, the daughter, and the son? Because in my brain, I understand that the daughter equals light, the son equals dark. And I know it's more complicated. We just talked about how it's more complicated. (laughs) But um, the father then is the person that keeps them in balance. Am am I correct in saying that? I I feel like I always need to talk myself through Mortis. (laughs) Like, I I absolutely think that. I think the what's what's Ray's line I want to like totally mess it up but she's like what do you see like light darkness a balance like that's Mm -hmm. who they are Mm -hmm. yeah and the father said like basically the father is like trapping son and daughter on mortis in order to keep them balanced and it's like that's the problem it's like they can't let son escape and I I like that the father also insinuates that like too much of even the light is bad he's like too much he's like each one of my children has the capability of mm-hmm. destroying life as you know it. And so it's not just mm-hmm. one over the other. They're, they really can't exist without uh, one another. And I guess if we're talking about symbolism, I'm going to bring this up because one of the best things that was introduced in this episode to me are the symbols for the light side and the dark side. Because at the core of the light side symbol is the symbol for the dark side and at the symbol for the dark side, the core of it is the light side symbol, so that you literally can't have one without the other. And then the father's symbol is just like an echo of this, so it just never stops. So it's like the light side, then dark side, light side, dark side, light side, dark side. Uh, and I really just love the creativity that came with creating these symbols that so I'm pointing out one can't exist without the other. <laughs> It's so yin and yang. <laughs> it's so good. It's so all three of us are just like wow, 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 wow. <laughs> it it's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, Courtney, because we had that as a, as a note later on too. That he's very like father is very specific in saying too much power, dark or light, would be the undoing of life as you understand it. Too much dark or light, both. Like, you can't have more over the other, and you can't have one existing well without the other, too. Um, And kind of like you were talking about daughter earlier about how she is the one that, like, listens and is, like, very much lives by a code, almost like a Jedi code. Um, But what I think is interesting about daughter is that she does have these moments of aggression, of, like, darkness in her in a way. Like, when she does tell Anakin not to touch her, yes, she's following rules, but she's also very aggressive about it. She's like, no one is allowed to touch me and just, like, leaves. (laughs) She's and like, you can here. hear the the brother, uh, the voice actor, echo in her voice. Okay, yeah. conspiracy theory. Can I go on this? I, Charlotte, yeah. you can cut this. I'm or who, I'm not sure who edits, but whoever edits, no, I'm sorry. Go for it. We because <laughs> we love conspiracy theories here. <laughs> because I was just thinking about this when we were talking. 
can we prove that the daughter in the beginning is not actually the son in disguise? Because when the daughter gets angry, she, her, the son, it's the son's voice. And then when the son comes in later on, he knows he's like, my sister told you to stay here. Like the da- daughter said you to like stay here because she just disappears. Can we prove that the initial daughter isn't the son? Stop it. No, we can't. <laughs> <laughs> Courtney. Courtney. <laughs> That's so good. That's such a, Wow. Now I got to rewatch it again with this conspiracy theory in mind. That's it. That's a top tier conspiracy theory. I I like just was like talking about this. I'm like, because I have a note that like you can hear the brother's voice in the beginning mm-hmm. when she gets angry, and I'm like, holy crap! And then the brother knows all this stuff that that this it's like, yeah, my sister told you to stay where you are, and you moved. Yeah, and we know wow. that he can change conspiracy. shapes because that's what father tells us later on. He's like, yeah, he can take whatever shape he wants. Mm-hmm. And he does. He he becomes that like weird creature thing that honestly haunts my dreams mm-hmm. when Ahsoka <laughs> is in the little prison place. Little it's gremlin. awful. Yeah, yeah, it's a, a little gremlin. So we've obviously we see him pretty soon after this, kind of take another shape. So for sure, I think you could be totally spot on with that. Wow, some good old tinfoil hat stuff happening right here. I love it. It's top shelf tinfoil hat. It really is. The thing is, I. I couldn't stop thinking about, and again, this is not as good as of a conspiracy theory as yours, but there's something about Mortis, and I don't even know if this is a conspiracy theory, but um, there's something about Mortis that feels like they have like crossed over into heaven or hell or the afterlife, um, mm-hmm. that you know they basically descend, they crash, they wake up in a place where they don't know um, – in several situations some of the like ahsoka dies essentially and is brought back to life like there's a lot of life or death situations that happen and it feels like the afterlife and it's weird because you think about your characters and you think about how once they experience something that is like a descent into hell or something um they are fundamentally different and um, I think the fact that like a lot of what happens on Mortis is like deleted from Anakin's brain is um, kind of extremely problematic because had that been left, he would have gone through a possibly a greater character journey and like not made the choices that, you know, were already set in place by Revenge of the Sith. And um, I don't know, I think a lot about how like the beginning of Mortis is essentially that them like going into whatever this is heaven or hell or the afterlife or something similar it's it's very evocative of that well they Mm -hmm. i mean it's bookended by like them seeing the light basically like they fall into light yes um and then that's how they leave mortis as well i'm glad you brought up the the fact that he they forget what happened at the end because that's something that's like always kind of irked me not irked me but i mean it's like you said it's like it's kind of problematic like why go through all of this if he's not going to remember <laughs> any of it. <laughs> and kind of when Courtney was talking about it and you too, Charlotte, it kind of made me think that like in a way these episodes are more so for the audience. It's not really for our characters. It's really for the audience to have this kind of greater understanding of like what the force is and kind of opening the door as to what the force could be and how characters like Anakin kind of factor into it, that it's not just like, yeah, Anakin is the chosen one to balance the the Jedi and the Sith. No, that, that's not what it is. It's so much bigger than that, which also a Luke line from The Last Jedi, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, 
so in a way, it's almost like these episodes were kind of created for the audience to like start the wheels turning about like what exactly the force is, what balance actually means. Like with the symbols that you were talking about, Courtney, like balance isn't no dark side. That's not balance. That's that's out of balance. That's out of whack. No one is fully light side. Um, and so they have pieces of darkness in them. Just like no one is fully dark side, there are pieces of light within them as well. Like we see represented in the symbols and even with son and daughter too um, and their like connection to each other, for example. Um, so I don't know. I was kind of thinking about that while you are talking about like the fact that Anakin does forget and how that's can be really frustrating because you're right. It could have changed a lot. But like we talk about all the time, like that's one of the weird things about the prequels is that you know where it ends and Anakin has to fall. That's his tragedy. Mm-hmm. For sure. Um, let's talk through the different visions and kind of manifestations that the characters are presented with and like what it means. Um, let's start with Obi-Wan because I think – Something that's interesting and I was noticing during this um, that Obi-Wan sees Qui-Gon, I think, twice, right? And it's interesting because as an audience, we know that Qui-Gon can manifest um, through the Force. Like, that is something that is revealed in Revenge of the Sith. And, like, we know that as an audience, right? Um, And because of that, is Obi-Wan's vision the only one that is, like, tangentially, like, real with a capital R, any thoughts? I don't know. It's like, so yeah, tough. <laughs> I don't know. Because we, we know Anakin's vision is the sun. Ahsoka, dream or sun? And then, yeah, because <laughs> then Qui-Gon, also that same question. I really don't have a good answer for you on this one. It's It's one of those things that, like, I watch back and I'm like, wait, what the heck? Like, this isn't really – I think that – okay – the most I can make from it is that I think that Obi-Wan seeing Qui-Gon, Qui-Gon is a huge part of Obi-Wan's future, as we know, because I think that he converses with Qui-Gon through the Force um, when he's on Tatooine, you know, everything after Revenge of the Sith. And I think that, like, in that period, um, Qui-Gon equals Obi-Wan's future. And everything that Anakin and Ahsoka see is essentially their future, too. Um aside from, like, the Shmi uh, sun manifestation, right, which is definitely from the past. I don't know. They, they're not all aligned, but it's interesting that Obi-Wan has, like, a true, real capital R vision. Yeah, I think that Qui-Gon's – I think Obi-Wan's – I think Obi-Wan's is real, honestly, mm-hmm. um, because what Qui-Gon says at the beginning of the vision, he's like, oh, Obi- one, I love how Obi-Wan reacts to this whole situation. He's like, Qui-Gon, hey. not alarmed at all in the slightest despite this like very trippy situation he's in and despite the fact that he knows very well that Qui-Gon has been dead for a good long time (laughs) um (laughs) but Qui-Gon says you know Obi-Wan asks why are you here and Qui-Gon says I'm here because you're here and it like just gives it gives like this like guardian angel vibe to Qui-Gon um that he's kind of been watching over Obi-Wan and Anakin this whole time um which is not the vibe that we really get from Shmi and even the Ahsoka vision um, I tend to think that Qui-Gon's is real, Shmi is obviously the sun, and I think Ahsoka's is a genuine vision because of all of the, like, force stuff that is going on here. It's kind of giving her that vision. hmm It's just an interesting thing. So let's talk about Ahsoka's vision because I think when we saw that, I remember Caitlin and I, like, theorizing and me immediately going, Ahsoka's dead. She's going to die. It's happening. Like, she won't have a future because she's going to remain his student, and they won't be separated at all. 
What did you guys think from that? I also thought the same thing. I thought this was like basically her death sentence, uh, which is really unbelievably tragic. And I probably shouldn't speak anymore about my feelings about Ahsoka's arc. So someone else talk over this. <laughs> <laughs> um, I I mean, it's no secret that Ahsoka is one of my favorite characters here. So I tend to be obsessed with everything that happens to her. Um which again, that's my bias in these stories. I know that. Um, yeah, I never loved the idea of Ahsoka dying, but I think because I mean, you and I definitely talked about this when we first saw the episode, Charlotte, of like, okay, like she she done gonna die. Like it's it's written in the stars, it's done. Um, but it's so interesting watching these episodes back now, knowing where she actually does end up. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is that. So the whole, like, hue of this episode is very, like, blue. Everything's very blue Mm -hmm. and, like, gray and, like, nighttime shadow. But with Ahsoka, it's very much, like, she's in the fire. The vision is with the fire. And we have, like, this red hue all about the, like, her vision, um, which are the colors that we are presented with in Malachor as well. Like, Malachor is a very red scene. Um, It's dominated by that color, which I think is really interesting foreshadowing, especially because in this Mm -hmm. moment, Ahsoka says, like, um, you know, Vision Ahsoka says, I'm your potential. You'll never see your future if you stay stay his student. And Ahsoka says, that's not true. Like, I would trust him with my life. And the next time she's kind of in this situation, like, with this red – like, with this red color that's really prominent is when Vader's trying to kill her. I don't know. I just – that kind of stuff. I'm like, oh, wow. (laughs) So interesting. So good. So good. And you know that that's like a totally a design Mm -hmm. um, decision. Yeah, definitely. (sighs) Love it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really interesting to the like the responses to all of their visions. And we kind of touched on this with Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan is like so calm and pragmatic. Like, yes, he could be having a vision. And yes, he understands that this probably isn't happening, but he needs to like take what information he can get whether this vision is actually something evil and negative or is it actually um, like the real Qui-Gon coming to talk to him, um, whereas Anakin immediately freaks out. He's very emotional in his reaction to seeing to seeing Shmi there. And then Ahsoka kind of has this – like she's kind of in the middle, which is like Ahsoka's strict, right? She's, she like takes a lot of the good pieces of Anakin, but she's like a little standoffish but also wants to hear what Vision Ahsoka has to say. Just like Obi-Wan isn't really sure what to do with Qui-Gon, but he wants to hear what he has to say. Anakin, though, is like, get the hell out of Dodge. Like, I can't talk to you. <laughs> I think Anakin's the, the part – I always actually forget about it every time I watch this, that Shmi is, like, part of this, and Anakin, like, essentially thinks, which I think is really heartbreaking, that he's talking to his mother mm-hmm. in at least for, like, one minute. Um and he's, you know, after Shmi, um, I think, I, I don't remember where this is, but I wrote it down, the um, the quotation of uh, Anakin asking, what are you? And Shmi saying, your fate, um, which is the sun. And um, I always thought that that was like so haunting. And it's a scary moment when Shmi turns into sun um, and Anakin is kind of left in this silence of... Um, basically his like obsession and love and like his realizing that in his heart he says that he is always haunted by um the what do you guys remember the words that he says I don't remember he says he's always haunted by like the weight of what it would feel like if he loses anyone you know the one person he loves uh Padme oh yeah yeah 
And the, the fact that he admits that to me was very heartbreaking to uh, see because he is having this moment with his mom who he thought had died like two years ago. And it's like I, it, the fact that he admits that is a moment for him, <laughs> you know, of real self-reflection. It's so um, interesting in this episode because – we are in this arc of episodes, again, this like pattern of threes coming up again, like three episodes, three women in Anakin's life that he loses that really are mm-hmm. like pivotal moments in his descent to the dark side, um, Shmi, Padme, and Ahsoka. And they kind of happen in order, like in the – here in the episode and then also in the saga. Like it starts with Shmi, who we've already lost. So Anakin's – it's like all of those those tragedies that are going to happen to him throughout the saga, throughout the prequel trilogy are compounded into this one episode. And then we see him kind of turn to the dark side in the episode. So we've got Shmi and then Sun takes Ahsoka. Ahsoka leaves the Jedi Order. And then we have like him seeing the vision of what happens to Padme too and that like pivotal moment. I don't know. That's just like a really interesting – Anyway, Star Wars is great. Um, really Star Wars is, is very good. Those kinds of parallels are like so fascinating to me because, you know, when those when those moments are happening in isolation, like when you watch Attack of the Clones and you're like, oh, he loses his mom. That's obviously like a moment. We hear the Darth Vader tune. Like it's a thing. And then he loses Ahsoka and you're like, oh, that's just like another like nail in the coffin basically. And then like it really comes to a head with Padme. And then we see – but like it's sometimes hard to track all of those things throughout the bigger story until you can go back and look at it all at once. And the Mortis trilogy, like I said, it just kind of compresses all of those emotions of his mother, um, Ahsoka, and Padme all into this like very tight, like claustrophobic time frame of these like 22-minute episodes. I think that goes back to what you were saying before about how these series of episodes are pretty much for the audience, um, not necessarily the story that they serve, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because you are forced to kind of confront those uh, those parts of Anakin's loss yeah. um, in these three episodes. It's a really good point. I think that another interesting thing about Ahsoka's part is that you really see her kind of go through the motions of like questioning her time with the Jedi and like whether that is something that she will take like forward with her. I don't I don't know, like maybe subconsciously um, her understanding that her future isn't with Anakin as her as his student you know Mm -hmm. (laughs) all right let's talk we kind of touched on this earlier but the like symbolism that we see and Courtney brought it up with the um the dark side and light side symbols but let's also talk about the yin and yang imagery that we see in the arena which is it's like so in your face (laughs) like The Last Jedi is. <laughs> um, that it's just not act- subtle at all. It's not subtle at all. And it's like, hey, look at this yin and yang. Look at it. Look at it some more. <laughs> um, so- and not only that, but it's like, look at it with these two griffins, like <laughs> within the yin and yang. <laughs> How does it work together? <laughs> it's, it's insane. What is Anakin's place <laughs> in the balance? Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought this was really interesting. Like, see, I remember the first time watching this kind of, and even now, still, I I find myself thinking about it a lot is the fact that, like, daughter kind of partakes in this test of, like, actively harming someone like Ahsoka. I don't know. I just, like, for me, that's not how we think a light side person should act. Um, I always thought that was really fascinating. And it makes sense 
that she does it. But again, it's like it's kind of going against what you think a light side person should be doing. Like she's this very um, obedient daughter. But here she is like Loki kidnapping Ahsoka and, you know, basically threatening her life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I think uh, I kind of was talking about this earlier. I think a lot of it has to do with that. She's extremely obedient to the father. And I think that has a lot to do with how even the Jedi were getting kind of skewed. They were listening to the wrong people and doing bad things because they thought it followed a code because they're very obedient to one person or a code or the Republic in general. And they would end up doing things that the Jedi shouldn't do. So yeah, it is a really interesting way that they bring up the the differences between the son and the daughter, basically they're both doing the same thing, but they're doing it out of very different reasons, at least in my perspective of how I took it in. Something I think that's really interesting is the fact that Anakin rejects um, becoming the father and taking his place and keeping the son and daughter in balance and staying there. Um, I do wonder, and this is just an aside, if that will come up in a way in the sequel trilogy in episode nine um because i don't think that we'll ever really see like a manifestation of the force in the same way that we see these mortis gods but i think it's really interesting to try to like think about like what kind of characters like if ray and kylo really do represent the son and daughter um what would it look like if they like what would what would a balanced force look like and like would there be have to be another figure at play to keep them in balance or is that enough um it really like messes with my head when i go down that route because the the fact that there's three which is obviously like the triangle which is another piece of symbolism that we get all the time um i'm like can it just be ray and kylo that um are the you know, the the people who keep the force in balance or like, does there need to be another? Like, how do we solve the puzzle of the father? I don't I don't know if like my brain can make those mental leaps. What about you guys? Oof. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <God>. Loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Me, my Raylo head. A baby? <laughs> I know. Oh my God. <laughs> Same. <laughs> there you go. I'm sorry. That's where it went. This, this is real. This is me. I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Supposed to be. So I know that you and I definitely talked about this before The Last Jedi came out, Charlotte, about like even about like kind of the ripple effects of like the balance of the force and like how Mortis kind of factors into this and like with Rey and Kylo and how like maybe Luke could represent the father and how that's kind of strange. Um, But kind of taking it back to Anakin and maybe perhaps the failure of him being the chosen one or perhaps not like him not being able to contain like the multitudes of dark and light by himself. And so like in a way, like Ray and Kylo kind of balance each other because they need each other. Whereas son and daughter are always kind of on opposite ends. They're kind of warring each other. And father is the one that has to kind of keep them contained because they're not, I don't know. They're not connected in the same way. At least we don't get that from what we see in Mortis. Um, Whereas Ray and Kylo, can almost balance each other. Um, but I do think that like that third figure will and probably should come into play. But I think at the end of the day, it really is Ray and Kylo's story. And so they like they can balance each other, that maybe they don't need 
the father. And maybe this is because, like, if they are representations of the Mortis gods, they don't go by son and daughter. They go by, like, other names, like husband and wife or, like, lovers or, like, um, soulmates, maybe not even in a romantic sense. But, like, they – like, Anakin couldn't do it by himself. Ana- Anakin couldn't keep the force balanced by himself, you could argue. Son and daughter couldn't do it by themselves. They needed father to do it. And we're kind of building to this moment of, okay, who can do it? Ray and Kylo. Mm. I don't know if any of that makes any kind of sense. Well, I think that you kind of – when you talk about Mortis this way, like – Anything can make sense because <laughs> it is such big concepts, you know. Um, but I think that you brought up an interesting point, and um, it's it's really fascinating when son views daughter's like dead body in her casket, and he says, um, "You're somewhat, you're the only person I've ever loved." It's that's part of the episode. <laughs> it's my favorite part. I know, I know it's your favorite part, Courtney, and I'm, like, really excited to get to it. <laughs> what do you think about that part? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it really oh, is so good. Because, uh, like, piggybacking off of what Caitlin was saying, because I think Ray and Kylo differ a little bit more than the son and the, uh, the son and daughter, because I think the son and daughter represent more extremes than Ray and Kylo do. I feel like Ray and Kylo themselves are a little more balanced Obviously, Kylo has stuff he's working through, but I feel like the daughter is supposed to be this this pure representation of one thing and the pure representation of the other, and I feel like they themselves are trying to become this father-like state at the end of it, and I'll go into, because like, I have a lot of feelings, guys, and I can't keep my thoughts together, but... <laughs> It really, it is my favorite part of the episode because I love how the son is acted because he does this really great job of whenever he's speaking, whenever he monologues a bit of go, kind of flowing through these emotions of like, he's constantly goes from being angry to sounding really sad to sounding really scared. And those are all obviously like the stepping stones to the dark side. And the way he speaks, he's kind of just constantly flowing through all of these so you see him do something really awful, like for one, go and kill, try to kill his father in the beginning. And he's so devastated and hurt when he shouts, I hate you. It isn't an I hate you, I actually hate you. It's what you do when you yell at your parent who you actually do care about, but they're making you upset and you're just so hurt that you shout, I hate you at them. Like, it's such a toddler way to say that. And even so, he, when he, actually does try to kill his dad again, ends up killing the daughter. His devastation with that is heartbreaking. And that that admission uh, at her grave that she was the only thing he ever loved is such what I want to see from the force. What I've been, what I love about the dark side and light side kind of symbiotic relationship that they have is that the only thing the the darkness ever loved was the light? Like, how oh. beautiful is that, guys? This is some grade it's A perfect. trash. I love it. I need that as like a sound bite. The only thing the darkness ever loved was the light. Put that on my headstone. It's great. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, you use the word symbiont 
Um, and that is like the very beginning of Star Wars. Like it's literally what Qui-Gon says to Anakin in The Phantom Menace. These two things are so dependent on each other. And the way that you just said that was just so beautiful because they they are not one without the other. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, and I liked to um, – this is just like one of those other parallels that's great um, about, you know, the I hate you from son to father is like very much like a petulant teenager. Like I don't even know what to say to you right now, but I'm just going to say that I hate you because I know that I'll make you mad. And who else do we see that from? Anakin and Kylo at the end of The Last Jedi when he like kind of throws out this this like empty threat of like I'll destroy her, i.e. Ray, And Luke's like – Okay, no. <laughs> um, because the only thing the darkness Kylo has ever loved is Rey. And that's not just not going to happen. No. <laughs> no. Nah. Nah, 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 One of the um, curious things that I paid a little bit more attention to on this most recent viewing is um, in the second episode when Anakin talks to Sun and he says that I will never join the dark side willingly. Um, this word willingly, I think, is so fascinating. What do mm-hmm. you guys think about that, especially in regards to how Anakin eventually does fall to the dark side? Because that oh, definitely man. stuck out for me, too. Uh, that Yeah, that word willingly is just so loaded because you even get the sense that he knows it can happen. But he's like, I'll do everything in my power to fight it. But I'll say willingly because... I think he knows part of it's there. Ooh, so sinister. Oh, I th- I think that we know as an audience that Anakin made a choice because we know that he had a different choice, you know. But I feel like in his time when he turned to the dark side, he felt he had no other options to go to, mm-hmm. and that it was unwilling for him to join with the dark side because it was the only way that he could potentially save Padme. I think in his opinion, I don't think he thought that he was making the choice. Like he, you know, he, he really thought all day, all night about joining the dark side. And he decided that he was going to sign on up. No, I don't think that's really weighed the pros and cons. Yeah. No, I think that, I mean, I think he did weigh the pros and cons, but I think it was like much more dire than the way that I just said it. You know what I mean? Where I think that he really felt like he had nowhere else to go. And in that way, I think that he would argue that he, I think that it's, it's so hard because you could kind of talk yourself in circles because you're like, oh, Anakin had all these different pressures on him that made him join the dark side it was like basically the only path that was presented for him we know that there's another like we know that there is because we have that knowledge of return of the jedi and we know the way that star wars works and (laughs) um but i think that he thinks that he had no other place to go yeah it's like when you when you look at the events of revenge of the sith it's kind of like he's backed into a corner and like you said, all these pressures coming at him and all of these like betrayals in a way from his point of view, it's kind of like the same way we talk about Kylo. Like Kylo felt a certain way about his childhood. Doesn't mean that was necessarily accurate, but it's how he genuinely felt about it. And that's kind of true of Anakin, I think, in this in this situation as well. Like, you know, he's completely betrayed by the Jedi when it comes to the events that happened with Ahsoka. Um, the fact that they like let her stand trial and like kicked her out. She didn't come back. Like that's a really deep scar for him. And then having, you know, 
one, he's not made a master, but he's put on the council, like strike number two. Obi-Wan asking him to spy on Palpatine, someone who's been there for him since the very beginning, like strike number three. And then when he finally confronts Mace about it, Mace is like, no, you wait here. Like you stay out of this. And then Anakin is like, wait, no, like that's the person who told me he could save Padme. Like he's kind of backed up against the wall. And you're right. Like he doesn't – like for him, it's not a it's not a choice. He kind of has to do it. And then you like you see that moment after when he's on his knees and he says, you know, what have I done? Like there's such anguish there. Yeah. But there's no turning back because he still feels like he's backed into the corner and there's nowhere to turn um, and no one would forgive him anyway. Uh, and it's just like it's so heartbreaking. And for me, I really see that played out with Kylo as well um, in content that I think we'll get more of after the end of the sequel trilogy. But like those same kind of feelings that like – all of these things are stacked against me. Like no one actually believes me and no one's actually here for me. And like there's nothing else to do. Um, whereas we as the audience know that like, yeah, no, you can definitely make another choice, Anakin. <laughs> like we can work this out. <laughs> but in the moment, in the emotion, in the drama of the moment, there isn't another choice. Totally. Um, I completely agree. I think that it it will only become clearer, I think, about – Kylo being kind of backed in the same situation that Anakin was and like being a little bit, a little bit very manipulated in his own choices. But I, I do think that line, that choice to add this, the the word willingly is just so interesting. Mm-hmm. The fact that Anakin would have ever considered that he would potentially be in a position to be forced to join the dark side also was interesting to me. Like you said. Yeah, we don't really see – like, we see Anakin um, react a lot to the, like, sadness and, like, tragedy of his upbringing, like, particularly with his mother and Padme and even with Ahsoka and, like, kind of acknowledging how he feels sad about those things. But we don't really see him – really outside of this moment here in Mortis of him kind of acknowledging, the like, the very serious darkness that is within him as well. I, I would love to be corrected in that, but I think that this is, like, the most honest we have ever gotten of Anakin. Courtney, can you think of a position where Anakin was like pretty honest about the darkness within him? Yeah, no, I think this is, I mean, I think this is just, as we've been saying, the the really perfect way to word it for him. Because mm-hmm. Anakin was, he really originally went to the dark side because he felt there was no other way. So that really pushes that word willingly. He felt like that was the only option. And like that was the only thing that he was he could do. And uh, Caitlin, what you were saying before about the, well, I've already done this and there's no going back. No one will ever forgive me. Like I, I love that kind of theme so much. And we've seen this with obviously a couple of characters of I might as well keep doing what I'm doing because there's no way anyone will accept me on the other side again and I think it's a really powerful lesson to know that it is it's never too late no matter what to start making the right choice Mm -hmm. I think that's for sure I mean that's so how many times can I talk about Kylo in this episode um (laughs) I know it's so hard not to because it's so clear Ryan really watched this episode and Mm -hmm. I feel like JJ had to have too yep because and I feel like Adam had to watch this episode. Oh my god! <laughs> it's just 
<laughs> the thought of Adam like firing Netflix. up his Netflix and <laughs> to watch the Clone Wars <laughs> and watching the Clone Wars, like going, like you know, putting his mouse over onto season three and like scrolling down to Overlords and like pressing play has and being like, oh, has to pass the episode of like, like Jar Jar Binks. being the fortune cookie. <laughs> but there's just ways in this like. There's just ways in the how the sun speaks that just remind me of Adam's performance in Kylo. Mm-hmm. And like I mentioned, this sort of like flow from emotions and being so angry in one moment and so devastated the next. Yeah. It really just reminds me. And it's such a good... Because, I mean, you may not understand the emotions of the dark side. You may not understand how someone can self, self-sabotage to that degree to do something so awful and to feel such pain over it, it just makes it worse. And I think it just, it's so good for the sequel trilogy and they really drive that home in this episode with the sun. I just, I feel like Adam had to watch this, right? God, <laughs> Come on, I hope everyone. So. I hope so. I hope, maybe we can convince someone to ask him that during the press tour for episode nine, but. <laughs> Have you watched any of the Clone Wars? Have you? <laughs> Please let us what know. do you think about Mortis? Give us your real and honest thoughts. Please and thank you. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, like with Kylo, like it, it was this idea of like, if I do this final awful thing of killing my father, like no one, no one will try to save me. Like I won't be tempted by the light anymore because no one could ever forgive that. And if I do the absolute worst thing ever, you'll never feel, he's like, well, if I do this absolutely top 10 tier of awful things that will make me feel awful. Obviously nothing will ever make me feel awful again. Yeah. So it's like, all right, let's do this bag bag thing. And then I'll feel good about everything else. Cause I already did the worst thing imaginable that would mm-hmm. hurt me the most. Yeah. But. And, and of course doesn't he doesn't feel good. Doesn't <laughs> no. It's not that he doesn't does not work. feel good. It's that he doesn't feel that like complete evil that I think he wanted to feel. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. And then, like, that's what we see from Anakin, too. And I think it, I'm definitely going to go back and rewatch these episodes now, Courtney, thinking about Sun in relation to Kylo um, more explicitly. But I think that this, like, now with the sequel trilogy, that this episode is, like, asking you to compare all three of these characters, like Anakin, Sun, and Kylo, because they are all these, like, conduits of the dark side and all these people that – have like multitudes of emotions within them even though they're predominantly like a quote-unquote dark side person and like the dark side itself isn't being like a sociopath it's giving into these really dark feelings giving into this like spiral of misery Mm -hmm. and it's done very well it's it's painted really well in mortis and explored very well in the sequel trilogy and in the prequel trilogy as well with anakin Mm mm-hmm Listening to um, Sam Witwer talk about these episodes, it's like I could listen to Sam Witwer talk about Star Wars all day, any day. But particularly hearing him talk about Mortis is just so great. If you guys don't know, Sam Witwer is the voice actor behind Sun. um, And he's also the voice actor behind Darth Maul as well later on. And he has like such a deep passion for Star Wars. It's insane. So definitely go and look up some of his stuff on YouTube of him talking about these episodes or really anything that he's done in the Star Wars world because it's just oh so good. Especially because that, you know, sometimes you just get voice actors who are voice actors. But I think that Sam 
has expressed so much that he understands um, what the son represents, what he is. So I think that Courtney's reading of him and his voice like changing and going through all these different cycles is like completely purposeful. And I think that is exactly what Sam was going for. And I honestly think he would say that. Yeah, absolutely. And even when like that little moment that I love to bring up in like every episode possible that I can. Also, this is about Kylo, um, aka <laughs> Adam Driver acting. But that moment when he calls himself a monster – or when Ray calls him a monster and he says, yes, I am, and you hear his voice shake just a little bit. Um, it's like that very subtle inflection, that like switch in emotion that we also see from Sun, just like you said, um, Courtney, and what we also see from Anakin too at the end of Revenge of the Sith. It's all just really good. Okay, so let's talk about the other really big thing, the other, like not like everything in this episode wasn't a really big thing. But one of the highlights of these episodes was the resurrection of Ahsoka by daughter slash Anakin slash father. It's like a lot of pieces in this puzzle. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is something that has come up a lot once we move into Rebels and like Ahsoka's role in that, which we don't necessarily need to get into. But – I guess, like, what are our thoughts just, like, face value about this whole resurrection of life within Mortis? And, Charlotte, you kind of talked about this earlier about us being in, like, a heaven or hell kind of purgatory environment here. And now we're having someone coming back to life. Like, the daughter is giving her life force to Ahsoka. And her life force couldn't keep daughter alive, but it could keep Ahsoka alive. All right. Are you guys ready for the second tinfoil hat theory of the day? I yes, am. I am. All right. So ready. Because I'm not sure how you guys feel about this theory, but the theory that Palpatine was essentially the one who transferred Padme's life into Anakin so Anakin could live and kill Padme. Heard it. Yeah, I, I've, I'm, I'm pretty much like I kind of subscribe to it, honestly. <laughs> um, I think I need some uh, more hard evidence, but go yeah, on. Yeah, definitely not against <laughs> it. Mm -hmm. So the way they stage... The, or the way they stage the daughter giving her life to Ahsoka, they even say it. It's like, with my, my daughter will breathe life into your friend. And so we see here that it's possible for a life to be transferred from one person to another. And Anakin's even like here for this. And they, they word it as breathe life, which is something in the Palpatine Padme theory that Padme's last breath lines up with like Vader's first breath. And Palpatine also knows Padme's dead before she's dead. He's like, yeah, Padme, Padme, you killed her. She's dead. And she's not dead yet by the time he's saying this, by the time he's telling Anakin. So he knows she's going to die. And I just think, even if it's a retcon, this is something that we might see in the sequel trilogy of someone giving their life to save another, of that force energy being able to be transferred into another person, because we have seen examples of it before. We know for sure in Mortist, it is just like a fan theory in the prequel trilogy and I think it is just so Padme didn't, so Padme's children weren't, and I'd cut that out, but <laughs> whatever. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's an interesting to bring, interesting thing to bring up that it's a possible thing to do. We know that the daughter is a little more force powerful than the average person, but I wouldn't be surprised if we saw something similar to this in the sequel trilogy near the end of it, because there is, there does have to be there is going to be a near-death moment for Kylo. Whether it is going to be a death moment or a near-death moment, I don't know. But in this sort of story, this sort of Beauty and the Beast story, he's going to fake die somewhere and potentially have some sort of resurrection. So 
if uh, JJ also has watched this arc, I think it would be an interesting uh, thing to bring into play that it's possible to transfer life uh, through the force. Oh, yeah, that's like that's my favorite theory. And it's something that I've like subscribed to for a really long time is the whole um, in the sequel trilogy, potentially continuing Anakin's quest for, you know, stopping death um, and which is like the basically the reason why he turned to the dark side. And so it's really fascinating to see this in Mortis and like knowing that this power of essentially resurrection is achievable on Mortis through these gods. And it is unexpected to see this happen um, to Ahsoka, you know? Yeah. I, I think that this theory really plays into the like reverse Anidala theory that is like really prevalent in the Relo community because we hear a lot people talk about, you know, Kylo was saying, like, I'll finish what you started, which is, like, being super bad, <laughs> being super dark side. But, like, where Anakin started on his quest was to save the one he loves from dying. Like, that's where it all started. Um, that was the purpose. Yeah, but it's ambiguous on purpose. And that's – yeah, it's exactly. definitely one of those certain point of view lines mm-hmm. that Ghost Obi-Wan's going to come in in nine and be like, it's from a certain point of view, and, and then just like, fade oh, away. Obi Wan, <laughs> Obi Wan, goddamn it! <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I think I really like the. I, I know about the breath, the Palpatine and Padme theory. I haven't heard it very much in detail, but I really liked listening to you talk about Courtney, um, especially because like the way that um, Anakin force chokes Padme, it's like cutting off her breath, her like air um, around her throat. I just think that's that's like an interesting like piece of the theory like evidence the quote-unquote as you were as it were um but yeah i i think that you're right like kylo is gonna have this moment in episode nine and how it ends i think i think there's good reason to look to how these things shake out in mortis to see what kind of possibilities we could expect in episode nine for sure okay so we move on to talking about basically what goes on beyond the clone wars version of mortis Yes. Yeah. Let's do it. Listen, big deal. You got another problem. Women always figure out the truth. Always. All right. Welcome to part three, where now we're going to kind of be talking about the ripple effects of Mortis throughout the rest of Clone Wars and really throughout the rest of Star Wars. Um, Mortis is such an interesting like piece of Star Wars content because one, it's directly from George. It's in the middle of Clone Wars when it's really hitting its stride. It's also pre-Disney. We're still a year out from the Disney purchase at this point when Mortis airs. But we've seen its ripple effects specifically in um, Rebels, which of course is a Dave Filoni project. And Dave Filoni was obviously involved in Clone Wars 2. But as we've kind of discussed throughout this episode, there are also like really strong parallels to the sequel trilogy. Ryan Johnson even explicitly mentioning that he watched and studied Mortis. And if we assume, which I think it's safe to say that Ryan Johnson watched Mortis the way he at least nearly as obsessively as he watched Revenge of the Sith. Um, Because remember Ryan Johnson talking about how he basically kept the prequels on a loop on his iPad (laughs) Like at nighttime, mm-hmm. specific mm-hmm. like when he was getting ready for bed and like stuff like that, and just kind of like all the time, specifically <laughs> Revenge of the Sith, like brushing his teeth. Um, I would imagine that he probably watched Mortis more than a couple of times. Just gonna put that out there. Um, but we know that there are a lot of people in the Star Wars community that one don't really care for animation, which 
is fine. Um, and two, if they do like animation, like the shows and stuff, they don't love these like forced focused episodes. Um, which again, it's fine. Like you're not required to like all of Star Wars. If the force side of things isn't your like favorite part of Star Wars, that's okay. <laughs> it doesn't have to be. Um, but what do you think about people? Not like what do you think about them, but how do we kind of talk about Mortis in a constructive way without kind of frustrating people that don't really like to lean into that side of Star Wars as far as like crazy force stuff? To me, it's more of a question of the people that don't like Mortis don't like it because it personifies the force and it removes the mysticism element. To me, I feel like I like understand that point of view because kind of it does define it even further, which is like the point of the entire episode arc. But to me, the more content that we've gotten about Mortis, like specifically in Rebels and like kind of expanding upon it and understanding that like these aren't the only force gods or as as they refer to themselves or something in the galaxy that this isn't just it. I think that a lot of people get hung up on the fact that not the fact or like the thought that Mortis is like the end all be all. This is what the force means. But I don't I don't think that's it at all. This is just like one story. This is how, you know, the force represented the balance and the chosen one prophecy to Anakin, uh, Obi-Wan and Ahsoka in this moment. I think that the more stories that we get, like specifically with um, Rebels showing the world between worlds and um, the Mortis mural and like understanding that people kind of view these this story or this myth or whatever these gods are through different lenses is actually helpful to that um, understanding of what the Force is. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think – I think you're right. Like, I completely understand people not wanting to really even touch the Force at all. Um, not because they don't necessarily like it, but because they don't want any more definition to it. They like it as ambiguous as it is that it is this, like, Force that binds us and penetrates us and binds the galaxy together. Um, but I think what's great is that we could have run the risk of it being too defined here in Mortis, but, like, with every door open – like another one opens behind it because then we do get things in the future further down the line, like um, them exploring more like definitively about the cosmic and living force, which just kind of takes it up a notch later on in Clone Wars, as well as the introduction of the Bendu of like this crazy like force moose basically <laughs> um, that just like exists <laughs> doing stuff. And then also like the Guardians of the Wills, like what they're doing, even like in Resistance, which is a minor spoiler for Resistance if you haven't watched it yet. Um, but like what could possibly be going on on a planet like Tehar? Like is there something force related going on on Tehar? Like yes, we got some answers, but we're also creating more questions too. It's a weird balance. Like I totally get fans that – just kind of wanted to leave it at there's dark and light side to the force. Um, and that's all we need to know. And I think that's – I think there's a lot of good reason behind just keeping it like that. Um, but I know for me personally, I like kind of having all these different layers to look at and kind of see where they intersect or even where they contradict each other too. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with this because uh, the dark the, – like the force itself is a spectrum. And I like that we get a term – for uh, these users that they call themselves force wielders, like we talked about before. And I feel like that's sort of a thing that they're working on. And uh, like with the light side and the dark side, we really kind of get this picture of like the biggest difference between them is being selfless and selfish. 
and how we we see how these extreme dedications to both sides uh can end up backfiring a bit like the the dark side ones are a little more obvious but like with the daughter uh and her selflessness it is more important in this scenario for her to stay alive and because she is the one who balances out the sun like and without her there can be no balance but she sacrifices herself for her father who can't like without her who has can't really balance things out but she sacrifices herself without a thought it's this it's done so unbelievably well and i think like if i'm going to my proper uh third tinfoil hat theory theory of the day um <laughs> something i find really interesting about the end of this episode is the father is the only one who disappears uh the daughter's mm. body re- remains the son's body doesn't fade away but the father does so does he have is his understanding of the force a more balanced uh view of the force the only way he can live on is this sort of foreshadowing the force ghost stuff is his point of view of the force where people should strive to be is the does the daughter represent someone who's quote-unquote blinded by the light so she can't fade uh she can't proceed to force ghostness like her father can and obviously the son it is a george lucas rule that the sith can't become force ghost i think that's why he didn't want uh because originally in this episode, uh, oh my god, why can't I think of his name? Revan, thank you. Uh, Darth Revan was supposed to make an appearance in these Force oh, visions. Right. Yeah, but George turned it down because he was like, no, Sith can't become Force ghosts. And that's something he was very adamant about, and that's why they cling to life so much. So that's... it was just an interesting, subtle detail to add that the only one who fades away whose body disappears and leaves like the robes behind is the father that's Mm. so interesting Mm. i i definitely i have i've noticed that but i didn't like cognitively think that much about it and i think you are spot on and i i my thought would be it's because the father is the wielder of the balance and like he understands how balance should work and has the like the insight to understand that daughter and son his children should be bound to this planet for the greater good um something i don't think his children like fully understand Mm -hmm. and therefore he is able to access that part of the force and become a ghost so does Um, father have equal parts light and dark within him or is he neutral to balance his children like does balance exist within father or is he just balancing son and daughter see that's the thing that that's what i was trying to like get at before about like i don't fully get the role Mm -hmm. of father and if we can like totally put a parallel against ray and kylo which i think is fair like what is the father and i think maybe what you're saying courtney is that the father is a full understanding of how balance works and not necessarily a being as we would see in the sequel trilogy if that even makes sense yeah does that that make sense yeah that totally makes sense to me at least sure yeah 
like it's like a, a concept yeah. mm-hmm. um, of understanding how balance works and how balance needs to be like restrained and kept together, um, but not necessarily. And like then un- that understanding unlocks like an ability to become a force ghost. Yeah, right? but that's not what we see from like know. character. I mean, I get what you're saying is up to like the <laughs> force ghost because that's not what we see like with Obi-Wan and Yoda. Like I wouldn't say that Obi-Wan and Yoda – specifically Obi-Wan have like this great understanding about the balance of the force or even that they're balanced themselves necessarily. Um, I think it's an interesting to compare father to a character like Bendu that we see in Rebels because Bendu is kind of meant to represent this balance as well, I think. Um, but we see, and this is perhaps just because we got a little bit more time with Bendu, but like seeing that kind of like dark side aggression within him as well. Like, is that more what balance looks like in a in like a in like a perfectly quote unquote perfectly balanced or nuanced character? Um like father and like Bendu, because Bendu definitely leans into the dark side, like very much at the end of one of the seasons of Rebels. Whereas we don't really see that as much with father. Like father is more there, like kind of monitoring. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, right. Like I don't think there's an answer. Um, I'd I'd like to amend what I said. Um, not amend, but add to it. I would say that the father has a greater understanding of what the cosmic force is and like these uh, these beings of uh, the son and daughter are beings of the cosmic force, right? I think that we'd all agree on mm-hmm. that, right? Yes. Um, and I think that to your point about how you say that I w- that maybe Yoda and Obi Wan aren't necess- like aren't balanced and don't have that understanding, but I do think that we see in the Clone Wars Yoda having to go through those trials to mm. understand more about the cosmic force. So, and and we know that that's what Obi Wan also goes through because that is how Qui Gon was able to um, learn how to commune with the Force through a- afterlife. Mm. Um, is through the cosmic force. So I do wonder if it's like just this like greater knowledge of understanding the cosmic and the living force and their balance together as well as the balance of the light and the dark. Yeah, this is where the struggle with like the the reality of Star Wars comes in because um, I think that's exhibited in the Clone Wars. I think you're absolutely right, Charlotte, with what Yoda goes through in that season six arc. But then it's not as well represented in the original trilogy in the ways that Obi-Wan and Yoda talk to Luke. Um, about like the mm-hmm. possibility of saving Ky- of of saving Kylo. Wow, my head of sa- <laughs> <laughs> of saving Anakin, um, of saving Vader. Like you would think. Well, they're wrong. They're, they're wrong. wrong but in it's that, like, that. but it's like in this kind of timeline, they should have gotten that level of enlightenment. But mm. to like have that kind of foresight, I guess, is what I'm trying to suggest. Maybe kind of, I don't really know, um, but again, I think that's like one of those things that it's 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 hard because of the way that Star Wars was made. <laughs> um, yeah, <laughs> it's one of those things I always come back to. Like it's what you and I always say, Charlotte. Like, is it foreshadowing or is it backshadowing? <laughs> um, who knows? <laughs> um, but hopefully, we'll like see that kind of that idea kind of fully formed in the conclusion of the sequel trilogy. Totally. So let's talk about our favorite episode in Rebels, The World Between Worlds, um, and Wolves in a Door, which is like a joint episode, basically. Oh Courtney, have you you've seen this episode, right? Yeah, yeah. What just so we have like a baseline, because Charlotte and I are a little obsessed with this episode. It's okay if you're not, but what is like your general feelings about those episodes? 
I don't. That will do my feelings. Fair feelings. I think there's a lot of cool stuff in there. I think. I mean, my I think my favorite parts are Ezra going through and you hearing all the sound clips from the whole movies. I do have some problems with some of Ahsoka's logic because, mm-hmm. but. So it, it's kind of like a middle of the road thing because I love Mortis so much. So I'm really glad some of it came back, but I also just have some issues with myself. I totally get <laughs> yeah. that. I think that there's like there's there's issues to be had in this whole thing um, in the world between worlds um, that are like we've discussed them too about the the fact that you can bring people back and like what does that even mean but then that goes to our more conversation that other that conversation about resurrection as well so it's just um, yeah it's a lot lot. what is cool about these episodes and it's something we'll put pictures on our website slash twitter um but something i just noticed actually is that there are so many visual parallels to what we see in world between worlds which is just bananas to me um because like when anakin first enters the temple that father is in we see this like whole like he's on this like walkway um that has all of these like triangular triangles that are held up by glowing circles which is like an exact replica basically of what we see in world between worlds which is just kind of crazy if we think about mortis as like this conduit of the force and like are those actually portals um I think so. Like I think I think those are portals into the world between worlds or perhaps like Mortis is just another representation of the world between worlds. Wow. Okay. The, wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. Let me well, you know on, it has like all these different access points. Let me put on my tinfoil hat, it, ladies. <laughs> um, do it. So Okay, so like the fact that like at the end of the Mortis trilogy, daughter is gone. Um son or a uh, daughter is dead, son is dead, and father is gone. It's almost—it's like the light went out of this place. Um, and then when we get to World Between Worlds, like that whole place is dark. So what if we actually are in like Mortis? I don't know. Mm-hmm. And it's weird. But we, and see, we see the convoy. We see more. more. Yeah, exactly. What's her name? More. Mori. Mori. I don't, I think I don't remember. I'm sorry. No, it's a, it's a Mori. Isn't it? It's kind of like memory. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I'm just saying that, like, the light went out in, like, Mortis, and, like, maybe that's kind of what where we're seeing – like, almost like Ezra and Anakin are in the same place, um, but it just looks different because there's no longer that, like, power surging through it in the same way that there was at Mort, like, when father, son, and daughter were there. This is, like – this is not a good theory, but I'm putting it out there anyway because <laughs> I like how they're very similar in how they look and the, like, geometry of the space and the design of the spaces – are very reminiscent of each other. So anyway, that's the theory. Well, there's circles and, and triangles. Circles and it's just and like triangles. Honestly, where else do you see such like where else do you see such like yeah, geometry yeah. in Star Wars? Mm-hmm. And like the fact that Anakin's on like a floating walkway, Ezra's kind of on a floating walkway. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. And then you hear the voices mm-hmm. of people like Don't Anakin. we hear we hear son and daughter, yeah. don't we? Um, I'd have to check my sheet, but I think we do. I think she does. I think she does. Yeah, she says it is in his nature. That's what you see in here. And I am daughter. Yeah, and daughter is there. Just like daughter's body is yeah. still like presumably at Mortis. Yeah, and then you see the future by its nature can be changed from the sun. 
Look, I'm just saying it's a crazy conspiracy theory, but it's kind of like a a great crazy conspiracy theory. <laughs> I've brought up three so far. Just the fact that they look really similar is just like an amazing continuation. And it's something that like I honestly didn't really notice on face value, but they're both places of the cosmic force. So, of course, this is how they manifest, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm very interesting. Do you guys think that we'll ever get a recognition of Mortis within the films? Like, do you think that even like the Mortis gods or these force wielders will ever be explored if it's not in the sequel trilogy, but like in other films, like maybe Ryan Johnson's trilogy, maybe the Benioff and Wise movies? Do you guys think it'll ever come up again? I think Ryan, in Ryan's trilogy, there's a a pretty decent chance of it. Um, I'm not yeah. sure about like the sequel trilogy. Like I think if it's brought up, it might be like Ray going through like the Jedi books, and there's like illustrations that we would clearly recognize as these characters or as these beings. But I'm not sure we'll get them fully discussed, just because like we've been talking for however long about these characters, still trying to figure them out, and. Mm-hmm. They have a lot to get done in episode nine without having to explain these force beings, but it would be a nice little, like, nod to see something about with them. Yeah. But I can definitely see this being something Ryan's like, yep, I wanted, because even they lived, they lived in this galaxy at one point. I don't think his trilogy will center around them because he said it was all new characters, but it would be an interesting story to see what uh, son, daughter, and the father were like on earth and there there was a mother at one point what's she doing you know (laughs) (laughs) exactly yeah the idea that ryan johnson could like his trilogy could be heavily like the foundation of it could be heavily based on mortis is just like too exciting for me to honestly bear like it makes me giddy when i think about it and like hearing ryan johnson like interview and talk about mortis would just make my life um but i also think it'd be interesting given like john favreau's relationship with dave filoni if like the mandalorian kind of went to those force places if we would see mortis um kind of like what you were saying courtney about like in a book or mentioned or like another kind of mural situation i wouldn't be surprised if we saw like little hints of it there um because like the mandalorian is kind of like traveling to these like unknown planets and things like that so i I would be interested i don't know if i expect it in the mandalorian but i think it would be a cool um like easter egg almost in there oh yeah i see what you're saying there yeah i i could totally see that being a thing caitlin i feel like these concepts in their nature are so transferable that we will see them in other places and it's going to come up again in any discussion of the forest because it feels like it has to come up <laughs> you know what i mean in in that the fact that like i don't even think that these are really that you wouldn't necessarily need to explain that much about the fact that there's a being of light, there's a being of dark, and there's something that holds the balance together. Um, that's like a very transferable concept throughout a lot of different stories that if that came up in another Star Wars story, I think it would be easy for us to connect it back to Mortis, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're totally right. I, I love how you phrase that. Like these concepts are very transferable across a lot of different mediums in Star Wars, especially like, I mean, with the sequel trilogy, if we are to draw this parallel between Rey and Kylo and son and daughter, which I think is a fair parallel to be making, even at this juncture before the sequel trilogy is concluded. 
Okay, so Courtney, since you're kind of the expert on Mortis, is there anything imperative that we've left out or any like parting shots before we start to wrap up? Something that like we haven't touched on, something about Mortis you like especially love, anything like that that we've left out? I I do really love the the opening title screens to these episodes. The balance is found in uh, one who faces their guilt. Uh, he who's he surrender he oh god he who surrenders hope surrenders life. And there's the last one that I can't remember right now. But I these title screens for these episodes are really good. And I mean, if you're ever looking for the themes of Star Wars, if you're ever confused of what they're going for, these title screens are life, and they really just paint things so well. The idea of hope and uh, facing your guilt and redemption and making the choices to do the right thing. It's all there. And I just, I, I love this arc so much. It really just paints such a good picture of of the Force. It really just brings the point home that Anakin is the chosen one. He just doesn't do the chosen one thing like anyone expected. Uh, they bring him to Mortis to try to save their planet, to keep the son and daughter alive and keep them in balance instead. The track they go on is that he destroys it all, um, which is what he ends up doing in the original uh, trilogy. Is he brings balance by just by the destruction of both, uh, like the Jedi and then the Sith, uh, and then Luke kind of starts it over. They start over fresh, and clearly that doesn't go well. But uh, yeah, I absolutely love these episodes and how they really tie together the uh the way the light side and the dark side need to intermingle that they need to exist together that they will never be one without the other and so there's not a point to completely destroying one because it's just going to come back so what we need to do is understand it so we can keep living our lives in this galaxy far far away do 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 <laughs> yeah <laughs> I, f- I can't believe we forgot to mention mention the like george lucas fortune cookies that start everything i read recently that george had and this is just like an anecdote he basically wrote down a bunch of themes and like th- those like beginning title cards that he wanted to explore and that was like the nexus of how these episodes came to be um, and I thought that was so interesting yeah. that he like potentially wrote like a hundred things on like a note card and we're like, okay, we need to make episodes that explore these themes. And um, I love that that's what came that, you know, balance is found with by those who face their guilt is like the nexus for what started the Mortis trilogy, because uh, like, of course it is. It's just um, it's really cool. Um, I'm glad you really brought those up because I, I would have been sad if we forgot to mention them. Do you have anything else to conclude with, Caitlin? I don't think so, but I, I love that you concluded, Courtney, in like such an eloquent eloquent way about the end of this episode, like talking about the beginning of the episodes. Um, I was like that kind of flip-flop there. Full circle. Uh, yeah, full <laughs> circle. And how – I mean, that first title card, man, definitely going to see that come around with Kylo because <laughs> I can't stop talking about him. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> I'm just saying, why, it's okay. 
but you're in um, good company. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Courtney, thank you so much for being on this episode of Sky Talkers with us. I'm so glad we got to have you on talking about Mortis. I wouldn't have had it any other way. Um, but where can people find you? Uh, thank you guys for having me. First and foremost, I am really honored that you guys asked me to be on this episode because if I love talking about anything, it's Kylo and uh, Mortis. So Blessed. I'm all about I'm all about this. Um, but you can find me at my podcast Twitter, which is at Who Talks First, and you can find me also at my fandom store, which is at Squadron Goals Co. or Etsy.com/shop/slash/squadrongoals. It's a tongue twister. It is such a good shop. You know, I, I just have to mention, I podcast every podcast with my Kylo Ren pillow that I, it's it's kind of crazy. Like I literally podcast every time with Kylo Ren, like the little pillow, like right here. And we're talking with the artist right now. And like, that's so cool. <laughs> oh, shucks. <laughs> yeah. And like, it's just so awesome. And if you guys haven't checked out her stuff, she is mm-hmm. such an amazing artist. She's so good. You guys got to check out Squadron Goals. It's great. Yes. Love it. Thank yes. you guys. We'll have all of her stuff listed in the, I was say the description box, like we're a YouTube channel, but in the show notes. <laughs> Click the link down below. Uh, subscribe. subscribe. Don't Actually, forget to hit the notification bell. Um, you know, it'll be in the show notes. <laughs> because we're a podcast. Um, But thank you guys, as always, for listening. Um, Tell us your thoughts on Mortis and what you think about all of our crazy conspiracy theories and what your own are about this episode, because there's there's literally no end to the conspiracy theories when it comes to Mortis, and I think that's, like, why it exists. Um, But if you want to find us online, you can head on over to skytalkers.com, or you can head on over to Twitter at skytalkerspod. Our personal Twitter handles are at Kaylin Plusher for myself and at Clarity for Charlotte. And if you like what you hear, you can also head on over to iTunes and leave us a review. Um, It really helps other people find our show. So if you have the time, we would really appreciate that as well. Yes, thank you so much. We're so happy that Courtney was able to come on and discuss Mortis with us. And I know that this has been a long time coming because we really wanted to talk about Mortis, but it just honestly felt like such a daunting task. And it was so great to have Courtney like hold our hand through it and talk us through it. Um, And I want to thank our amazing patrons, Amy, Joanna, Tracy, Sarah, Susanna, Z, Cherie, Angela, Diana, Becca, Lynn, Katie, Rachel, Courtney, Brian, Megan, Amy, Kelly, Jim, Suara, BJ, Larry, Kate, Brooklyn, Lady Valkyrie, Jenny, Blessed Cheesemaker, Danny, Lumpa Raru, Patrick, James, Hamsa, From a Certain Point of View, The Dorky Diva Show, Megan, Stuart, Kyle, Jennifer, Kells, Chastity, Aliyah, Travis, Katie, Daniela, Alyssa, Rebecca, Andy, Delaney, Angela, Allie, Natalia, Daz, Serene, Shireen, Matt, Jordan, Molly, Chell, Aaron, Rebecca, Lauren, Tom, Edith, Adam, Derek, Connie, Robbie, Kirsty, Brandon, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for supporting us. It means the world. And with that, may the force be with you. May the force be with you.
Sky Talkers is a member of the Star Wars Escape Pods Network. Explore more great content and get to know our sister shows at WeAreEscapePods.com and on Twitter at WeAreEscapePods. The Star Wars Escape Pods Network, promoting positivity in fandom.